Hello, Lime Ninjas, and welcome to episode 71 of Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and with us from sunny Southern California is our official show producer, Aurora. Hi, everybody. The sun is shining, and everybody's excited because there, there might be rain tomorrow. Ooh, or rain. Next week, I should say. I know. So exciting. Southern California needs that rain. Aurora, can you tell us about our Lime Ninja this week, Aaron Murphy? Yes. Aaron Murphy became symptomatic in high school with fatigue, depression, and anxiety. When she attended college, she studied psychology and then neuroscience in, in an attempt to understand what was happening to her. She eventually turned to nutrition to try and control her symptoms and attended Maryland University of Integrative Health to receive her master's in nutrition. Her journey to health has been over the course of 16 years, and she found the key to her healing has been allowing herself to feel and process all the emotions that Lyme disease has created. She now works as a computer tech and lives in Philadelphia. Thanks, Aurora. And before we jump into our interview, I'm really excited to announce that Aaron and I are going to be hosting a free online Ninja Jam session about emotions and healing, and that's going to be on January 10th. We just hit it off. It turns out we end up going to the same graduate school. She studied nutrition. I studied acupuncture. So we have the same background, same kind of uh, philosophical background on health and healing. And we just ended up talking forever and ever after the interview. And we decided that it'd be a great idea to do this jam session. There'll be details about that at the end of the interview. So go ahead and listen all the way through so you can get the details. And if you can't for any reason, just go to our website, uh, LimeNinjaRadio.com and sign up for the mailing list and we'll get the details out on the mailing list too. Okay, here's our interview with Lime Ninja, Aaron Murphy. Aaron, I am incredibly excited to speak with you this evening because we're going to talk about your Lime story and we're going to talk about how you used grief, not ran away from grief, but used grief as part of your healing process. And that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah, that was was kind of shocking because I grew up in a house um, that really valued humor and optimism. And um, so it was kind of shocking for me to then find that it was something like grief that I think really helped things move along this summer. Interesting. So let's go back to the beginning. Tell me about, did you know you were bit? What's your Lyme story? Oh, it's a 16-year-long Lyme story. <laughs> okay, well, let's condense it a bit, but when did it begin? Let's condense, okay. So it started um, in high school, and my first symptom was extreme fatigue, and then I started having um, some symptoms of depression. I started having suicidal thoughts. I started having um, anxieties um, that were not consistent with my normal behavior. Like I developed a, a fear of public speaking and I used to really love public speaking. And um, so I started, you know, seeing allergists and seeing psychologists and seeing um, my primary care physician a lot. And I, I never had a bullseye rash. Um, the year or the months leading up to when I started developing the fatigue, I was on a, a cross country team. And so I spent a lot of time in the woods and also, um, 
I would ride my bike a lot in the woods, even though I wasn't sister. I wasn't allowed to be in the woods by myself. But <laughs> I, I, would, I, I won't would tell your bike. mother. <laughs> maybe maybe we should keep that one off the record. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm I'm 30 years old now. They they can know that I rode my bike in the woods. Um, <laughs> and so those are my symptoms in high school. Uh-huh. And then in college, things started really progressing. And um, I was a psychology major because I was very curious about this depression and this anxiety. Hmm. And then I switched to neuroscience for a while. And there was one point in, in college where um, I was very convinced that something neurological was happening. Yeah, clearly. Um, because, yeah, because I started seeing balls of light in my vision field. Um, I was having feelings of seizures when I was falling asleep. Um, I was once awake for a, a whole month straight. Um, You're that was kidding. A, an interesting experience. No, did you, did you go psychotic? And, uh, hang on, this is... yeah, they they had to put me on um, Lunesta, which is a sleep aid, and my right. my um, college roommates really enjoyed that because <laughs> I would be sitting there talking to them, and then I would take the Lunesta, and you just go from like you know zero to all of a sudden it's like you're talking in slow motion. Like I'm like, whoa, guys, I think I need to get in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was that was kind of an entertaining uh, week for them. But yeah, the insomnia, that was really, it was really tough. Um, and that, that actually probably has been one of my most consistent and challenging symptoms throughout the past, you know, decade. It's funny how the infection messes with the, the circadian rhythm. It It is. It's pretty consistent. Yeah. I I think I I listened to your podcast on the circadian rhythm. Oh, I, I should thank you. I mean, you've been a huge resource and, helping educate me about this in the past year. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Glad we could be there. Okay. Yeah. So you're in college. You can't sleep. You're entertaining your roommates because you're stoned on Lunesta. <laughs> then what happens? <laughs> and um, so it, it continues into my early 20s. And in 2008, I had this like really strange experience where I had these thunderclap headaches. Um, and I couldn't speak after I had them. Like it really, to me, it felt almost like I had a stroke or something. Hmm. And, um, I had an MRI done at that time to check for an aneurysm. And at that time I was told the MRI was normal. But then last year I went digging through my health records and I actually found out that that MRI said that I had brain lesions and uh, white matter lesions. And it's one of the first things that suggested was getting tested for Lyme. Um, but I never, I never got those results. So as far as 2009 was concerned, I just, I still had no idea what was happening. That's malpractice. Yeah. You know, it, it is, but at the same time, I mean, I was really angry when I first found that out. Um, but it, it was, it was a primary care physician that I had been seeing for a really long time and he did a lot of really good things for our family. Uh And, um, well, yeah, well, I didn't mean to, that you go have to sue him, but yeah, you know, that's a, anyway, on, on our side of the Alice looking glass, you know, brain lesions. And when the, the, uh, radiologist says, you know, you may want to test for Lyme. And then they ignore yeah. that, that just, you want to shake somebody's yeah. lab coat. Wake up. That was, that was when I got to experience, uh, anger instead of grief. Yes. <laughs> so I yeah. really got to just see what that emotion felt like. Um, but in the end, I mean, one thing, I guess, if people are listening to this, if they can take away from that is to make sure you always ask for copies of your lab work. Um, after that, I always, always ask for copies. But I was only, you know, 23 or 24 at the time, and I wasn't really thinking, you know, that I wasn't 
I wasn't sure if I was crazy or not half of the time. So I, you know, wasn't fully on board with myself at that point. Did you have people saying you were crazy? Um, I did have a few doctors sort of treat me that way. And, and the, the one um, neurologist that I went to, I guess in 2009, you know, he was, he's speaking into a tape recorder, like right in front of me. And he was like, patient is presenting with psychosomatic symptoms. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm a neuroscience major. I know what that means. And we didn't even go through my history yet. And I just was really confused. And um, that, was, that was my first experience with it. A neurologist. So it, my second experience in, in 2014 was much, much, much better. But um, that was an unpleasant experience. So um, from there, from after the migraines, I started having extreme tachycardia um, in 2009. Mm. And I went to the hospital and my heart rate was 177. And yeah. Um, yeah, and even when I was just standing around, my heart rate would be like 150. I bought a blood pressure monitor and um, a pulse oximeter and I just started kind of tracking things myself. And, and did your like, blood pressure go down? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Majorly. Yes. Um, there'd be some times where it was like 80 over 50 and I'd be like, what am I alive? Bare, <laughs> What's barely. going on here? Yeah. Yeah. It was very confusing. And um, I, I would make people look at it and be like, look, I'm not crazy. Right. It says 150 beats per minute. You know, my, my blood pressure is so low. Right. So. And did the doctors, were they worried about your low blood pressure? No. You know, every time I would go, it would always, I guess they would just put down like 100 over 70. Um, but when I would take it at home, it would be like 90 over 60 or 80 something over 50. Huh. And nobody ever said anything. And I don't know if it was because when I was at home, I would take it standing up because I'm pretty sure I have um, pots. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Yeah. So when I'm sitting, I'm sitting down, it might not be that bad. But then when I stand up, I think all of my blood pools in my legs and then my blood pressure drops. Yeah. So that's why I think it's probably always normal at the doctors. Well, yeah, closer to normal. The other thing I asked a physician once, because I was curious about, so in Chinese medicine, I'm an acupuncturist. In Chinese medicine, you can always have too much or too little of a good thing, right? And right. So, so I asked, you know, so what's the deal with low blood pressure? You know, is, is it a problem? Is that, and basically they said, you know, it's not, it's not a clinical sign. As long as a person isn't falling over, doesn't have pots, doesn't fall over when they stand up, we're not concerned right. about low blood pressure. And I'm thinking yeah. that's just doesn't make sense to me. No, I'm like, you know, my, my blood needs to deliver oxygen and nutrients and everything. And it just, yeah, isn't getting around as fast right, as and there should. needs to be enough pressure so it gets through the lungs, it gets through the kidney and the liver, and so forth and so on. And I find people with low blood pressure are usually pretty fatigued. It goes hand in yeah. hand with uh, adrenal yeah. fatigue and other issues like that. So I always take people's blood pressure, and and I'm I don't usually see it in the eighties, but you fairly consistently you see somebody ninety five over sixty something or high fifties, and you know it's like uh, how are you feeling today? Well, I'm kind of tired. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That's actually the next bullet point on my list. It's like lots of fatigue due to, due to the constant tachycardia and poor sleep. So um, there was definitely, definitely a lot of fatigue. And I started actually sleeping almost 24 hours that year. Um, really? You and flipped to the opposite, from, huh? Yeah. It went from, from that month of insomnia to, to really almost sleeping like 24 hours. Wow. And um, I lost a lot of weight. I went down to like 108 pounds from, from 130. Wow. Um, 
it was, I mean, at that point, I was really thinking that I was dying, and I yeah, well, sort of know. just became okay with it. Like, I was like, nobody can find it, you know, I'm going to keep going to my appointments, I'm going to live my life. I I traveled, I, you know, wrote a poetry book, I, I did these things, and I was really, like, getting to the point where I was sort of making peace with that as a potential outcome. Wow. At that point. Um but then this good thing, amazing thing happened. Actually, I have an acupuncturist to owe for it. Um, I had seen, you know, an endocrinologist. I saw the neurologist. I saw cardiologist, um, gynecologist. And, and finally, I went to my acupuncturist, who I had been working with for years throughout my 20s. And he always got me back to a, a working level of health. Um, I think if it wasn't for him, I I would have crashed a lot sooner. Um and so when I saw him in 2010, he said, you know, you have, um, I had a parasite that he found. And also he was like, I think from a Chinese medicine standpoint, you have what is called goo syndrome. <laughs> and so he started treating me with the classical curls. Yes. Um, I love those. I use those myself. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still on them right now. But what happened at that time is I didn't know much about Lyme disease or that goose syndrome was related to Lyme disease or any of the co-infections. And when he first put me on a round of, I think it was the Thunder Pearls, yep. I must have had a, a Herxheimer reaction or something. I'm sure because you did. I had, yeah, because I had like these crazy episodes of rage and I was just like, I can't even be in a car driving right now. Like, <laughs> I feel like I can't be at work. Wow. Like I had no idea what was happening. So I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, I need a break from this. You know, I need a break from doctors. I just, I'm just going to try to use nutrition to keep myself going. And um, so that's what I did for the next few years. And I actually went to Maryland University of Integrative Health for the Master's of Nutrition, Science and Nutrition. And My I know you're mater. a graduate. Yeah. That's well. Yeah. It wasn't called that at the time, but that's so cool. It it was Thai Sophia when I started, and then it morphed into Maryland University of Integrative Health. So, did you get to spend time with Bob and Diane, or were they kind of phasing I did. out? They they were there the first year, and then they were kind of phasing out the second year. So it was really nice. I had my um, what is it? Oh, redefining health. They, yes. That is the course that they taught. Yes, and that was wonderful. It really, I think, changed a lot for me. It's funny. I've gone back and done that. It's been, I think it's been 10 years, but I've done that two or three times since I graduated. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah. Just so everybody knows, it's a, it's a wonderful course they do. And in some ways, it's also, they've used it as an introduction, like the first couple days of, uh, the master's programs will, will be this, this course. And, uh, I just find it helpful to go back. I'm, I'm just all, always about the fundamentals. It's like, it just takes mm -hmm. you back to square one and just reminds you, okay, that's, you know, breathe. <laughs> You know, yeah. your your mindset makes a difference. You know, redefining health is really about redefining your relationship with yourself and and waking back up and rediscovering and and and, and reintegrating your body because we just you know when especially when we're suffering or or your mind for that case if your mind you can't trust your mind you know you I'm sure you had this experience and I have it in my practice too people don't trust their mind or they don't trust their bodies because it's not working right. So the right. relationship, so they start p pushing it away and cutting it off. And you yeah. can't become whole again until you go through that reintegration, until you and redefine so your health. 
so true. Um, and that, I think that's a lot of what I've been working on in the past year. It's, it's funny that you've, you, you mentioned about um, grieving and, and redefining health because I remember at that class, they said that um, at some point in history, we didn't used to have the word stress. We used <laughs> to use the word grief instead of stress. And uh. it's, it's just so funny kind of how our culture seems to have shifted away from grieving. I think there's very much this push for um, pushing through or, or we say things like, oh, they're handling it so well. And that usually means that they're they're not crying or they're not grieving or they're not sad, you know, that they're just kind of a person is just trucking through something. And, and maybe they are, you know, genuinely that's how they're handling it and it's a natural expression of themselves. But sometimes um, I think we end up pushing a lot of that away because we either don't have time or... Or sometimes I think, too, with, with grief, it seems like maybe there's a proper time. Like, at a certain point in my healing process, if I tried to process all that grief, it might have overwhelmed me. Mm-hmm. And I think that this summer, you know, I was living at home with my parents and I was working part-time. I had a very flexible schedule. And I had I had plenty of time to let that all naturally, you know, come out. And it's like, oh, okay, you know... <laughs> I'm grieving a lot this morning. I guess I'm going to have to do my work at night or, you know, I'll do my work on the weekend because it's kind of a rough week. And so I, I had that space and I, I know that I'm really lucky because I had that space to, to allow that. Yeah. You, you bring up some beautiful points and uh, I'm going to highlight two of them. And the the first one is, and I'm sure you had this experience too with, with this course and with the, the work at uh, that, Bob, we said Bob and Diane, but it's Bob Duggan and Diane Connolly. They're the founders of what was the traditional acupuncture institute, then became the Thai Sophia Institute. And they've recently, well, I guess it's probably more like five or seven years now, have sold it. And it's now the Maryland University of Integrative Health. And Mm -hmm. their work is based on, I'm not telling this for your sake, Aaron. This is for everybody listening. (laughs) Their, Their work is based on five element acupuncture. Which is from J.R. Worsley, who's a, a British gentleman who got it from the Orient. And the five elements, there are many things associated with these elements, including emotions. So we, they come into us, okay, there are five basic emotions. And mm-hmm. when you first get started, you hear the emotions and they're fear, anger, joy, sympathy, and grief. And you say, okay, there's some good ones in there, but then there's the bad ones. It's like, we don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, fear, you know, we that's not a good way to go through life. And, you know, you don't operate out of fear. We hear that, you know, don't be fear-based. We hear that so much. And anger, we know all about anger. It's like, you just, you know, diffuse the anger. We don't want that joy. Okay, we like joy. Let's get as much of that as we can. Sympathy, eh, that's kind of okay. It's a nice thing to have. And then grief, mm-hmm. well, you're not going to be able to avoid grief, but, you know, we'll deal with it the way that you deal with it. And after learning, what happens is you realize that you need each one of these emotions to be a fully healthy and complete person. And if the yeah. emotions either present too much or absent, it's a sign of ill health and not mel- mm-hmm. mental ill health necessarily. It could be an, uh, a sign of migraines. It could be a sign of gut dysbiosis. It could be a sign of being infected with Lyme disease, like the right. rage. It's not a psychological problem you're having. That's a neurological problem. It's a, it's a physically, physiologically based problem that you're having. And it was manifesting totally emotionally. Right. And that's, you know, that's, that's the beauty of this. So that's, that's that was number one, and I forgot what number two was. So we'll just 
<laughs> well, let's talk more about grief and what. So, oh, oh, here's what I want to say about what I want to say about grief is, and it's really a point about emotions. Emotions I've come to understand are just like a reflex. So when you're sitting in the doctor's office and you were a kid and you sat on the edge and he had the little hammer and he hit your knee, testing your reflexes, an emotion is no different than that. It's a response to either something internal, a thought that we have or another feeling that we have, or something that happens out there. Now, the mm-hmm. difference between humans and animals is when an animal has an emotional reaction to something, one of these fundamental, you know, an, ang- an animal can get scared, an anim- animal can get aggressive, an animal can be happy. We've seen all this in animals, right? They have emotions. They don't have right. thoughts, but they have emotions. So when an animal has emotion, there is no delay between them expressing their emotion. It's instantaneous. Yep. That's the way the mammal part of it, us, is designed. And because we live in these societies, we've developed the brain, or maybe we develop societies because we've developed the brain, we can hold off on, we can postpone, we can press the pause button on emotions to get through a situation, either because it's awkward or because it would ruin our standing in the community or whatever it is, right? So mm-hmm. this causes immense amounts of stress. I mean, they know animals can find when an animal has an, you know, get scared, the horse kicks up its heels, a cow will kick up its heels or run away or lower its horns or do something physical to burn off the adrenaline, right? We, mm-hmm. If we don't immediately do something like that, that causes stress. So if the animals could find, that's one reason they give them all these antibiotics is because they're stressed. They can't move their bodies. They can't process their emotions that they're having. So right. this is, you know, what you're saying is exactly what happened. And the beautiful thing is you were able to go back there. And then finally express some of these things. And it happened to be grief. And that's one of the places, you know, it's not a place we normally look to. It's like uh, grief is the ugly emotion. I call it the ugly emotion. Your mascara is all over your face. Your hair is a mess. You know, Mm -hmm. your clothes are wrinkled and frumpled. In other cultures, like the the, uh, Middle Eastern culture, people are tearing their clothes and tearing their – that's grief. You know, it's not right. dabbing your the corner of your eye with a kerchief. That's no, not, it's not pretty. <laughs> that's, you know, that's right. Grief doesn't look like that. Grief is you're sobbing, you're out of control and just sobbing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's and my little rant on emotions. It's great. I, I'm, I'm, I laugh because actually um, when I was making dinner tonight, I was really tired and I really didn't feel like making dinner. And I noticed like as I was getting all the ingredients out and getting my cutting board out, I was kind of being really rough with everything. And then I stopped and I was like, I'm angry because I don't feel like cooking right now and I'm really tired, but I need to eat and I need to eat these, you know, certain healthy foods because they really help me. And as soon as I admitted that, it just all went away. So it's just like, okay, I just need to say that. I just need to say, you know what? I don't feel like cooking tonight. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Exactly. And um, that has been really helpful uh, through a lot of this process. This is just stop and be like, you know what? This is how I feel. I'm, I'm really sad about this. Or um, and, and not compounding my emotions with guilt, because I think I was doing that a lot too, like especially in the summer. Um, me, and, me and some of the, the people at the... Um, the place that I go for treatment, we were talking about how challenging Facebook can be sometimes because you see everybody moving on, um, but it's also a great place to keep in touch. And so it's this sort of double-edged sword where you yep. you want to keep in touch, but it also hurts to watch everybody live this life that you thought you would have been living at this point in time. Um, 
where your expectations really, really show up and you're like, oh, I, I expected to be traveling or I expected to be not be living with my parents, even though, it, you know, it's so helpful. And um, I would be jealous and I just wasn't used to feeling that emotion. And I, I guess maybe because I was always, you know, pretty happy with my life and um, I was jealous of some people and I was just like, oh my God, I'm jealous. This is awful. And then I was like, you know what? It's not, it's really normal. It's extremely normal. And, and when I would just let it be, it just, it wouldn't have so much weight over me. And I would just leave space for it. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm jealous. And it doesn't mean I don't want my friends to be happy. It's actually that I just wish I was doing what they were doing. Right. <laughs> I wish, you know, I could travel to some, you know, exotic location and, and I just can't at the moment. And that's what this, this emotion is about. Yeah. The, for me recently, I discovered that, uh, I was embarrassed by a lot of things. And this is after lots of work and lots of introspection. At age 50, I figured out that one of the things that stopped me was I was embarrassed. But what stopped me wasn't the embarrassment. It's like I'm mature enough that, you know, if, if I recognize that I'm embarrassed, you know, it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to get over it and move past it. But I couldn't even recognize that I was embarrassed. So I came up with all these excuses like mental excuses, like, well, what we need to do some more research and need to figure out all these kind of adult, you know, blustery kind of things just to cover up for, well, I'm embarrassed. I'm not prepared and mm -hmm. I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed. And once I was able to recognize and like you said, name, name the emotion, name, mm -hmm. the, name the thing, it, it totally lost its power. And you yeah. know, from, from now on, it's more, much more likely to say something about, you know what, this is really embarrassing, but. You know, and then I just go on. But before that could totally put off, you know, returning a phone call or doing things that I had to do or you know, it was just amazing. It was all tied up and with this, you know, elaborate. To, well, I need a better to do list and I need more willpower and I need to read more self-help books and all this other stuff. No, I just need to recognize <laughs> that I was embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. yeah you know, so <laughs> just like, amazing? yeah, your, your example today of just the emotions don't have a very long shelf life unless we give them space and energy or try yeah. to repress them, you know, give, give them energy in some way. And how we give them energy is by resisting them. And sometimes we right. resist them outright. Like I don't do anger. I've had patients tell me that I don't do anger. I'm transformed. It's like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go out in the go out in the woods and break twenty dishes and come back and tell me how you did it. Oh my God. I was embarrassed in the beginning, but then really get into it. I said, I have a lot of anger. Yeah. You're human. <laughs> of course you have anger. So it's you know, we, we play all these these mental games because we do have this brain and we can postpone feeling things, but it gets in a way and, and that's that's why I was so excited to talk to you, is because you or one of the few people who've said, you know, right up front is, yes, I needed to recognize this emotion in order for me to heal. And it was grief. So how, yeah. how did you discover grief was the key? Oh, it's, it's such a, it's such a great process like that over the past few years. It started when I was in um, health coaching and also uh, a boyfriend that I was dating at the time. And I noticed in health coaching class, we were taught that, um, we had to leave space for people's pain in the coaching sessions. And I, I didn't know how to do that at first. You know, whenever people would break down and cry, I just wanted to like, be like, it's, you're going to be okay. Like you're going to feel better. Like it's okay. I wanted to throw platitudes at them and, 
and just make them smile again. And um, we had to really learn how to just give space for another person's pain. And then at the same time, I also had an ex-boyfriend, you know, telling me that I don't let people complain. I always try to fix it as soon as they're, they're complaining. Like I try to find solutions right away. And um, it made me think of health coaching. And so I put the two together and I was just thinking about um, just this idea of giving people space for their pain and not trying to move it right away. And that maybe there's therapeutic value to this and, to, and letting people feel their pain. You know, I think sometimes too, uh, we're taught, you know, this idea of story and phenomenon. And I see that in, in some, I guess, like health coaching circles. It's like you almost want to move the person out of this negative story and into a positive story right away. And, but then in, in these health coaching classes, it was like, we weren't trying to move them anywhere. We were just trying to let them be there with their pain. And that was a new concept for me. And I started to think that uh, a lot of times the capacity that we can be there for another person's pain is determined by the capacity that we can be there for our own pain. And so I realized if I was always trying to move everybody else's pain and fix everybody else's pain and paint it over and make it pretty, I was likely doing that to myself too. So I wanted to really explore that. And I, I bought this great book called Unattended Sorrow by Stephen Levine. Have you ever read it? No, that's one I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really great book. And there are just some things in there that really helped me process um, a lot of the health experiences that I had had over the you know previous years. And there was this one phrase in there that like stopped me dead in my tracks. And it, it was this man who had cancer. And he says, dying of cancer, I stopped the war. And I was just like, wow, that, that it blew me away. It's so simple. Will, dying will of cancer, you say, I stopped will, the war. Will, will, will you say that one more time? He said, dying of cancer, I stopped the war. And it was like in that moment, I realized that I had been fighting for so long, like with myself, with like trying to solve this health mystery, with my symptoms. You know, like you said, you sort of turn against your mind and your body because they're not working right and you start to kind of dissociate from these things. And um, there's another phrase that says, when fighting for life becomes fighting with life. And I realized that's what I was doing. It was like I, I was fighting for my life, but it became fighting with life. And and the whole book was, was just wonderful. There was a lot about like softening into things and just coming at yourself with this compassion and... um I really needed to hear that at the time. And then uh, another thing that kind of furthered my exploration into that is as I got sicker, I was just like, I have no idea how to do this. Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to have cognitive dysfunction. I wasn't prepared to not be able to read or to have problems writing. I'd always been a really avid reader and a really good writer. And, you know, it was, it was easier to give up things like alcohol or to give up gluten or to give up dairy and because I could see how those things maybe were hurting me but reading and writing made me come alive and when I started getting to a point where I had to give up things that made me feel alive um, I just didn't know how to deal with it and so I was like you know what I'm just going to google it I'm going to google how to be sick because I don't know how to be sick and I found this fantastic book um, by a woman named Tony Bernhard and it's called how to be sick a Buddhist inspired guide for the chronically ill and their caregivers and she she talks a lot about, you know, accepting, making peace with impermanence and uncertainty and the solitude that come along with, with you know, sitting with pain. And it was great. Like, seriously, that whole book is just fantastic for, for dealing with um, chronic illness. And 
I think we kind of know intellectually, it's like, I want to get to acceptance because when I get to this place of acceptance, I'm no longer fighting, you know, with life or with myself or with whatever circumstances that I have. But I didn't know how to get there. Yes. <laughs> intellectually, I could say, okay, must get to acceptance. But <laughs> it was like, what is blocking me? Like, what is blocking me from getting to acceptance? Right. And um, I had this, I had this great acupuncturist who, we ended up working together again starting in 2014 and we, we resumed the goose syndrome treatments because this time I understood Lyme disease and I understood what could happen when I take the herbs and I was just ready. On, on so many levels, as much as it's frustrating that it took me to 30 to sort of, you know, know what I have and to go through treatment, it also happened at a time where it's like I'm much more on board with myself. I'm, you know, I went through nutrition school so I know how to cook. I just... It's kind of, it's a really good time. I don't have kids. I have a part-time job. I'm living at home with my parents. It's like, now's the time. Now's the time to heal. But he said to me, he's like, you know, you, you write pretty words and you use a lot of metaphors and you make pain sound really beautiful. He's like, but it always makes me wonder what's churning underneath. And he's like, what, what about direct experience? Like, what does unadorned reality look like for you? What is life when you strip away the stories and the metaphors and just live it directly? And it started making me think again about this, you know, this grief and, and this, this idea of pain and maybe that there are these things inside of me that I can't just paint over with poetry or with metaphors and that need to be looked at just directly. <laughs> I need to directly experience that emotion. And um, one thing that I did was I decided to hold a grief ceremony. And so I had a friend who was grieving a long-term relationship. And her and I went to a pond in our neighborhood. And um, I made a list of things that I was grieving, you know, grieving my health, grieving loss of safety in my body, etc. And for every grief, we would say I would then throw a stone into the pond to sort of signify letting it go. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we paused. And then we just, you know, gave a lot of space to that pain. She, she did her, her grief as well. And then we paused and we would say things that we were also grateful for, for our experience. Yeah. Um, and we just, we just really heard each other and we sat with each other's pain without trying to move it. I wasn't trying to, to fix her relationship issues and she wasn't trying to fix my health issues. And I think it was, it was really the beginning of the grieving um, for me. Like it sort of opened the valve, I guess, and allowed me to just then, really look at the last 15 years and be like, wow, you know, this was really challenging. This was a very challenging experience. And there's no metaphor or, you know, thing that I can say to paint over, but it was challenging. Amazing. That's amazing work you did. One of the things I find that Lyme disease seems to do, and I'm going to say this in terms of Chinese medicine, and I don't, I don't know how much you got into the the twelve officials. Did you at all? The, did you say the twelve officials? Yeah. No, I didn't. I, okay. I'm not sure what that is. So, so we talked a little bit about the five elements. So, if if you take the five, the five elements just really represent any dynamic system, any living system, any moving system. So it can be you can look at the five elements in terms of uh, running a farm, in terms of running a business, in terms of the seasons, um, or, or a, a, the life of a, of a person. So you see these five elements show up in a, in a person. 
And in a person, they get further divided into 12 officials, and these 12 officials each have jobs within the body. And this is one of the brilliant insights of Chinese medicine. One of those mm-hmm. officials is the gallbladder. Now, don't be confused by what we understand to be the gallbladder, this tiny little sac that hangs onto some digestive juices and squirts it into our stomach. The gallbladder in Chinese medicine has all these incredible functions, including eyesight, tendons and ligaments. It has to do with the sour taste, springtime, the ability to plan. Courage is associated with the gallbladder. And particularly, it's this ability to take a plan and then execute it. You know, mm-hmm. it's one thing looking at a recipe. It's another thing. Then you put your hands in the flour and everything else and try to cook it. Because just when reality hits the road, when our beautiful vision hits the road, we run into all kinds of obstacles and we have to make adjustments on the fly. And that's what the gallbladder does. I think Lyme disease almost incapacitates our gallbladder. Right. So you have this idea of, okay, I need to do, you know, I need to do grief or I need to get to grief or I need to get through grief. And then depending on where you are with Lyme disease, it can be impossible. It can be so confusing. And I think that's one yeah. of the things that seems to show up is like, well, how do I do it? So in a normal case, you know, people would kind of work there and stumble way through it. But in Lyme disease, you're just kind of left there staring at the wall going, duh, what's next? <laughs> and you just, it just, that function isn't there. There's no one step in front of the other. There's not even any one step because this poor it's gallbladder so has just been hammered. You've totally lost, you know, it's like, okay, I got the map. I know what I'm going to do. And then the fog sets in and you just can't see anything. And it is yeah. so confusing. You just, you know, I hear this over again. You just don't know what to do. It's so overwhelming and so confusing. So even if it were a simple disease and it's not, it would be a struggle. But then you add on top of it, this incapacitation on the ability to execute plans, you know, and even yeah. kind of lacking the courage. People are afraid. You know, I'm afraid to, to take these classical pearls because it made me feel like a raving lunatic in my car. Right. Right. Yeah, and I I definitely experienced that for a while, and I I just found like even as I've proceeded in treatment, I can make decisions so much better, and I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize how much my ability to make decisions was. I just thought I was indecisive, you know, like man, I just can't make decisions, and it's like no, and that's so cool. That's one thing that I I really look forward to. I'm like I I've had this for so long, I don't even really know who I am anymore. Like I like certain things, you know, like I've never really been a good driver. And I have a sneaking suspicion that when this all clears up, I might be okay. Like, people might not fear for their life when they're in the car with me anymore. <laughs> you should go, you so, should go to one of those driving courses where they take you in, in like, high-powered cars around a closed track and just have some fun. Learn, I know. I, I, have, to spin I haven't out. been able to drive yet. So oh, I, I haven't. That's one thing that um, I'm still having a hard time with. Is It's just... You, you don't realize like certain things, how cognitively demanding they are until you get Lyme disease. And that's, I think, one of the cool insights that I've gotten, yeah. um, like like conversation or reading a book or, or driving a car. You don't realize how much brain power that actually takes up well, until all of a sudden it's all slowed down. Here's the deal. This, we're going to end up spending three hours talking, so we're going to have to start wrapping this up soon. However, this gets me very sure. excited. I just I'm learning how to play the bagpipes. Oh, how that's, that's so fun. <laughs> except for everybody in my house. Yes, it's, it's like squeezing a duck right now, except uh, you start with the practice chanter. So you just start with the part that kind of makes the, the melody, the big drones that make all the noise. You don't get those for, I'm told, another year. So anyway, but <laughs> but 
it's like my I don't have any muscle memory. I don't have any myelination in my brain on how to move my fingers to create a note. It's it's been such a long time since I did something that new that I was mm-hmm. really struggled with it. And the the brain this is this is what I'm coming to the brain is the laziest organ in the body. In Chinese medicine, it's a curious organ and it is curious. It is the laziest thing. Its entire design is to not put out any energy. And how it Mm -hmm. does that is by myelinating pathways. So if you're losing some myelination in the brain because you're infected or because of some endotoxins there, then Mm -hmm. like, no, you know, you're talking about how much cognitive function it takes to drive. Yeah. When you were 15 with your learners permit, it did, but soon Mm -hmm. thereafter, no, nobody who's out there on the road is actually thinking. It's all automatic. Mm-hmm. They're daydreaming. They're listening to the radio. They're talking on the phone. They're texting. They're doing whatever they're doing. It's a miracle. They're not like a hundred cars in the ditch out front of my house because nobody's <laughs> paying attention. They're not spending any mental energy on it. When the brain's pathways get myelinated, it doesn't take any energy to fire those pathways. It just happens. Right. There's a little puff of air. So I think what's, what you're describing is your, your brain lost some of this myelination. And that's yeah. why you couldn't read is like reading is one of those things too. It doesn't take any energy to read except right. when you're four years old learning to read for the first time and you're got your finger on the page and you're, you know, your, your brain's really working. And, and I, so, I always, go ahead. I, guess, I was going to say, I had this vision in my mind that the brain would like tag certain activities as superfluous. Like it'd be like, Oh, creativity, superfluous, <laughs> humor, superfluous. And like as the Lyme disease was getting worse, it was just like tagging these things was not necessary. And yeah, let's not just, spend energy you know, on them. Yeah, yeah. Even the intonation of my voice, like on days where I'm, I'm, uh, I feel really good. Like my inflection is just so much more vibrant than. And when I have a really bad day, I'm almost, I'm very monotone. Yeah. And I, I said to my mom, I'm like, I think my brain is just like, screw this. We're not, we're not even going to make the voice inflect at all because we don't have energy for that. That's an interesting way of looking at it. So that's, you know, that's a symptom in Chinese medicine. It's one of the cornerstones of the five element um, diagnosis is the sound of the voice. Yeah, that's so that's so, so fascinating. Chinese yeah. medicine is really cool. So you're you're just telling you know you're just paying attention to most most people kind of step over that stuff, and mm-hmm. you're just you're just being very specific about it. Yeah, amazing. Yep. Yeah, just incredible. The brain is an amazing, amazing thing. So what? So once you figured out and you got into this grief, what opened up for you? It's like what was different in what you could see, what the path of this that were open to you? Did you start doing different healing things? Is like, what, how did the grief change you that you were able to move forward? It let me see that even though my life had become so much, um, I'm going to use the term smaller, but um, I just mean that, you know, my social circle kind of dwindled down and I wasn't doing as many activities. Um, I you know would walk around the same block every day and my, my day to day activities looked, looked very similar. And I started to realize that kind of in the way that, you know, when you're looking at the universe as a whole and you see the stars and you see the galaxies and it's like, wow, that's so cool. It's so fascinating. And then you get down to the earth and it's like, you see the earth's terrain and you see volcanoes and the ocean and it's like, that's so cool. And then you get down to, you know, the smallest cells. And there's still so much life happening inside those small cells, even though it's smaller in a way. And I started to feel that way about my life, that even though 
it had seemed to shrink in, in a way that there was still so much life and richness inside that. And so I started to, um, I, I found a phrase called the extraordinary ordinary. And <laughs> it was just like finding, like putting my feet in the grass. That was like extraordinary to me. And the beauty of silence, like silence became almost like a friend. Like at first it was, oh my God, I'm alone so much. And then eventually it was like, you know what? The silence is kind of comforting and my brain needs it. And um, I started walking around my neighborhood and I started taking pictures of nature and I noticed a lot of flowers that were poking through fences. And I thought it was so cool. And I was just like, if these flowers can grow through the fence, I can get through this. And I liked the flowers because they don't do it aggressively. They're not like bulldozing through the fence or, you know, they do it naturally and they do it in their own time and they do it with grace. And um, so I started taking pictures of them and I, I you know, hashtag through the fence. And um, I started to like the way that the sunlight would hit the trees. And I would always try to get a picture of a tree with like the sun coming right behind it. And I would uh, hashtag those, the light within, you know, and I, I just started to, you know, think of this, myself in nature, I guess, you know, like the light coming through and things growing through their obstacles and um, people, like people in my life, like certain people that you just wouldn't expect really stepped up to the plate. And um, I learned how to ask for help a lot better. Mm-hmm. And I, I reached out on Facebook once and asked people to send me cards. And I got like 40 cards and it was so overwhelming. It would make me cry <laughs> because it was so beautiful. And um I had a friend send me a box of gluten-free food and um, it was called love with food. And every month I would get this new box of gluten-free goodies. And uh, today I actually unexpectedly got a box of spices from a friend and it it almost made me cry right before this happened. Um, And then I just, I, I realized I'm getting to know my parents at a deep level as adults, which not everybody gets that chance. And, um, falling in love with myself and my body. And that has been huge. Like this summer when I was taking certain herbs, I was having like these electric shock like sensations for about five hours every night for like a month. And um, it was only from like 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., which was fascinating. It always made me think of like the organ clock. And yeah. Just what was going on from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And it was, it was really scary. And at certain times I would just like put my hand over my heart and be like, I'm here. Like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to put, you know, my job above my health right now. I'm not going to put pleasing other people above my health. I'm not going to put, like, anything. I'm here. I'm I'm with you, body. Like, you've been through a lot. And I, I really, you know, appreciate what we've been through. And, and so it just sort of, I don't know, it opened up. It, I guess it, it felt like it cleared me out and made more space for joy. Yeah. Um, and that was the biggest thing. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the beauty of the cycle of the elements and the, the beauty of the system and the recognition there is that in dropping out one of the emotions is one of the places things can be dropped out. You can also drop things out nutritionally. You can drop things out mentally. But if you drop things out mm-hmm. emotionally there, then the whole, it's like your bicycle, the brakes are on the bicycle wheel. The wheel can't go round. It's like you can't mm-hmm. get up to joy because there's just not enough energy getting past grief to fuel the rest of the system. So once you open up that valve, so to speak, then all of a sudden things can begin to flow. And then see, you're not, you're not healed yet, but the healing can begin. 
Yeah. It's like, it's like you've just, you know, the, the rain has finally come on the crops and now they can finally start growing. The growing doesn't happen instantly. The transformation happens instantly. Like the, right. But, but the, the recovery t- takes a while longer. And one of the beautiful things that you, I mean, you just gave the greatest exposition of the metal element that I've ever heard. And the element in Chinese medicine, the metal element is the element of grief. It's also the element of the lungs, which mm-hmm. on the body clock is from 3 to 5 a.m., interestingly enough. And mm-hmm. and the lungs and grief go hand in hand. And the character for metal is looks – the Chinese character, it looks like a mountain – and mm-hmm. there's something precious under the mountain. And so what yeah. you what you talked about was finding what was precious and not out there, what was precious right there, like right under your nose. And when we're upset and mad and throwing things around in the kitchen, we don't see what's in front of us. And we can't yeah. appreciate the beauty and the value of what's in front of us. So the, the ability to let go there, it's funny, open that up for you. And then the appreciation and the gratitude really – really began to accelerate things. That's a, such an amazing story. Just incredible. Yeah, it, it was great. And, um, and and there was even, there was a phrase in the one book and it says, you know, grief comes in waves and highs in pockets. Yes. And I'm like, I, I know I'm probably going to be emptying out pockets for, for the rest of my life. I mean, if not, if not from Lyme disease, from, from something else in, of course. that's impermanent in my life. <laughs> yeah, we're never, um, yeah, we're never done. It's never yeah. done. We're never over no. anything. You know, it just happens less frequently and sometimes with less ferocity than w- when it was raw, you know, yeah. but, and things can get, grab us unexpectedly again. And emotions are triggered by something. So anything can trigger us. It's not like the right. emotion lives somewhere. It's just, it can, it's triggered and it's either being fed, you know, if it's given all the space it wants, it's going to come and go in a couple minutes. That's it. Or sometimes mm-hmm. even less than that. It can go instantly if it's given full space, but it's not usually not given full space. So these things hang around for years or decades where people nourish their resentment or anger or whatever it is they're hanging on to. It takes a lot of energy, but th- th- yeah. a clean emotion just comes and goes really quickly if it's mm-hmm. given, if it's given that space. It and does. It really does. That's, that's the, you know, that's the whole Taoist thing. Can you stand in the center and let the world swirl around you? It's, or can mm-hmm. you sit still and let your mud settle? And you're, you know, the idea that you're a pond, you know, can you stop <laughs> swirling up the mud that's, you know, that's at the bottom of the pond? Can you sit still? It's not easy. You know, mm-hmm. we, we get caught up in the drama or like with me and my embarrassment deflected. It's like, it's not, I'm not embarrassed. It's, it's something else. I need a better to do list and then everything will yeah. be perfect. Like, oh my God, I was doing that for 30 years. It's painful. That's, <laughs> that's painfully embarrassing. <laughs> well, it's like uh, pulling away layers of the infection and, and the same thing, like pulling away layers of self-awareness. It's like until, I always like that Maya Angelou quote where it's like, you know, it's like when you know better, do better, something like that. Where, yes. You know, yeah. we just don't know. And then all of a sudden you get this awareness of something and it's like, aha. Right. <laughs> How fascinating. Right. And that, right. And that'll propel us for us for forward for a little while. And then we need to rediscover where things get stuck next. It's never, it's never done. That's like the, one of the, the Buddhist quotes. If you find Buddha on the road, kill him. (laughs) You know, it's kind of this ironic thing. It's like, it's like, it's never, it's never done. It's, you know, and, and, and then, you know, we breathe our last breath and people say nice things about us. 
But this this yeah. process of uncovering, you know, of having our emotions is is never done. Never yeah. ever done. Okay, Aaron. We have talked for fifty four minutes. And you got me on a good night, McKay. Well, you got me on a good night too, because I started this feeling <laughs> a little droopy because of my cold. But man, it's been a fabulous, fabulous conversation, and I'm sure I'm going to get great feedback about this because what you're saying is such a critical part about healing, and uh, what you, what you've presented and shared with us is such a gift. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want to give you, you the last word. Is there anything you want to share with people about what you're up to or in your life? Um, right now I'm, I'm just, I'm working part time. I'm actually uh, working for a group that is trying to find the cure for acne. Um, so <sighs> it's great. I'm, I'm still in the world of bacteria and um, trying to understand a different kind of infection. And also has a lot to do with the microbiome and everything. So do you, kind of nice. A lot of do you know the the who the mother dirt people? Yeah, we were looking into them, and, and we actually had a few meetings with uh, the founder. Or I, I didn't personally, but the people that I work with. So for those of you who don't know, mother dirt is a spray on uh, probiotics. So that means you're spraying bacteria on you, and they're. It's supposed to be a sulfur-loving bacteria that eats the 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 other bacteria or the waste from other bacteria, and that gives us our bad body odor. And mm-hmm. it's their premise, and the guy who founded it, it's an MIT grad, his premise is that all our harsh soaps and antibiotics washes and all this stuff has killed off some of the delicate bacteria. So just like we have a dysbiosis in our gut, we have a dysbiosis on our skin. And uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It is. I struggled um, with acne brutally through my teenage years, and it definitely was was gut related because there's clearly things were are gut related for me. I have other gut issues. Yeah, the the um, Lyme doctor that I'm seeing right now, her and I were talking about acne on Monday, and she was just saying that there are very specific organisms that often test positive in her patients who have acne. And so uh, we're probably going to go down that road together at some point and see if there's anything more that can be looked into there. But it's very fascinating. It is. I found high doses vitamin C. I found spirulina worked. And then, of course, just just cutting back on eventually when I started cutting back massively on carbohydrates, that made the final shift. Um, Yeah, the live on labs like the vitamin C really helped me. Um, but then like the Lyme treatments, it's, it's so hit or miss. Like some of the things that help with detoxing make me look fantastic. But then some of the other things that I think, you know, might be killing the bacteria and causing inflammation, I can break out more. So I have a feeling that once the Lyme disease and kind of the gut dysbiosis all clear themselves up, that acne probably won't be a problem anymore. Yeah, totally. I mean, those waves, uh, waves, the other other thing with acne, unfortunately, is it like the, the imbalance happens quickly and then the skin heals up so slowly. Yeah. You know, so you can have a wave, a wave of uh, something dying off and some of those endotoxins being released inside and that causes the imbalance in the skin and then you break out and then things have cleared up, but you're still dealing with the breakout, you know, two weeks later. Um, yeah. Because it, it sets, it set off such a, a, a problem on the skin. So yeah, usually, yep. you know, that's, that's, you know, so in the Chinese medicine idea, well, you're releasing things to the exterior. But you know th- that sounds all nice and pretty, but the reality is, you know, you look like you look like hell. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's un, it's unfortunate. So, but I, you know, the question is, can you heal without kind of going through some of these phases? And I, I think through really, that surging phase. yeah, probably yeah. not. Probably not. It's like, I, it's like the grief in a way, you know, it had to come out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was actually, I, I don't know if we had time for a quick story, but it was a really fascinating story that happened. Um, do I have time? Yes. I, I can keep it to a minute or two. <laughs> um, so I, during this whole line process at one point, I had a, a big acne breakout. And so I um, started writing about it on acne.org. And then, you know, this August, I was kind of, I kind of hit a point where my health dipped down again and I was a little frustrated because I felt like I had made so much progress and then it felt like I sort of took a few steps back. And this um, guy reached out to me and said, you know, I started this group and we're trying to find a cure for acne. I read your paper and I thought it was very informative on acne.org and I would like to invite you to our group. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fantastic. But I have, you know, late stage Lyme disease. I just got diagnosed in March and... I don't have the energy to work for anybody, but I could probably work part-time from home if that's an option. And he's like, I know one of the best Lyme doctors in the country. I'll put you in touch with her. My son was treated by her. And so he, um, in addition to the, you know, I've been working with my acupuncturist and making great progress using the Chinese pearls. Um, but I felt like maybe something in addition would help move the process along. And so I just started with, um, the Gedrick Integrative Medicine. I don't know. Do you know Dr. Gedrick at the Integrative, her Gedrick Integrative Medicine Center in Morristown, New Jersey? I do not. So I'm I'm going there, and I, I know you had a guest on who talked a little bit about the PK protocol uh-huh. with the the uh, phospholipids and um, IVs and stuff like that. So I've been doing that, and um, I'm also going to start the Byron White some of the Byron White formulas over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just so cool how it happened because of the acne and posting, <laughs> posting that experience on acne.org. So I, I don't know. I, I think there's some, sometimes a nice thing that happens when you put yourself out there, honestly. So if there are any Lyme people listening, I think there's a lot of value in sharing our stories. Amen, sister. <laughs> and thank you for... McKay for giving us a platform to share our stories. It's so wonderful. Yeah, I'm very excited. I was talking to Aurora this evening before I got on with you, and I think we're going to shift things again. We're we're going to see if we can't do two episodes a week. I say mm-hmm. that, and I'm getting heart palpitations. And one <laughs> being a Lyme expert or some expert in health, and the other, you know, what I'm calling Lyme ninjas, and you're a Lyme ninja, it's somebody mm-hmm. who's really kind of done hand-to-hand combat with Lyme and their selves mm-hmm. and are figuring it out, you know, because yeah. there is, you know, it's really, I, I more and more, I kind of intuitively picked this ninja idea because I thought it was kind of cool and I found a funny-looking ninja that I really, really liked and thought it was playful and, and uh, suggestive at the same time. But the, the idea that you, you need to learn these basic skills and then you need to go out into the fog and, and, and work your way through it, you know, go through the journey and it's full yep. of twists and turns and bends and switchbacks and dead ends. And 
when when people get to the end of it and look back, it kind of magically straightens out. So once people tell their story at the end, it's like, yeah, and mm-hmm. then I did this and this and this. And they don't tell all the dead ends that they hit and the switchbacks and the things like that. And it's it's all about that. It's it's right. you know, when you're in the middle of it, it's like you said, some things work and some things don't. You know, you try mm-hmm. it while, wow, this sounds great. Let's try it. Oh my God, that was the worst thing ever. Why did I ever think? I was just talking to a young woman today and she was trying some aloe juice to heal her gut. And it seems mm-hmm. like she's allergic to aloe juice. She's had horrible, horrible reactions to it and just tiny yeah. amounts. And you don't, who's to know? Nobody knows that until right. you know, we're not that sophisticated with DNA yet. So we don't know. Well, try it. Yeah. It works It works for 85% of the people. Oops, you're one of the 15 you know, but I, when you, I try right? to always keep that mindset, you know, it's like I'm doing this out of love and I have no idea if it's going to work or not, but I'm doing it because, you know, try and attempt to care for my body. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's a wonderful way to approach it. Right. And and right. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But right. Rather than rather than, oh, what am I doing wrong or I'm so broken or yeah, yeah I, I was there. I, I spent a lot of years there. I felt I felt really broken, and um, it's nice to be on the other side of that feeling. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your journey through that. It's a, Thank you. It's a powerful story, and it's going to help a lot of people. All right. Well, I hope so. Thank you so much. Oh, I just knocked over something, so. <laughs> 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 My story went out with a bang. <laughs> yeah, totally. Have a great night and keep up the good work. Okay, thanks. All right, bye, Aaron. You too. Bye-bye. Listening to Aaron actually reminded me of something that Jasmine, the little sister, said once upon a time. It's like people often don't notice when they're when they're hurting just because they shut it off. And I think it's the the same thing uh, with these negative emotions as well. It's like it hurts people to be feeling anger or grief or things like that. And to be able to get in touch with that and be able to just allow yourself to feel that is, is incredibly courageous. Right. And it's not just about what I want to say about feeling better or or kind of soothing a little bit of stress from the acupuncture point of view, Chinese medicine, 2000 years of Chinese medicine, emotions can be the source of illness and disease. So in other words, they can be a contributing factor to your Lyme disease. So it's not just about feeling good. Oh, I want to get rid of my negative emotions and have happy emotions. No, it's not just about that, although there's nothing wrong with that. It's deeper than that. Your emotions can actually affect your physiology and block healing. And that's why I'm so excited to have this workshop with Aaron. We're going to have an online Ninja Jam session. It's going to be January 10th. So pay attention to Facebook. We'll have announcements up there and we'll have announcements on our email list. So you'll want to go over to our website and sign up for the email list and you'll get a free cheat sheet about brain fog detox to boot. But be sure you sign up. It's going to be a great thing. It's not going to cost you a dime. It's going to be a ton of fun. Okay. If you need more Lime Ninja in your life, Aurora, what should you do? You should visit our website, LimeNinjaRadio.com. There you can find all 70 past episodes. 
We archive all the past episodes, and I am going through and updating those so all the files and links are correct. So bear with me as I do that, but they're all there. All right. On the website, you can also sign up for the Ninja Insider mailing list and pick up the Lime Ninja Brain Fog Cheat Sheet as our thank you. Right. And that's also how you'll get notified of the webinar jam with Aaron and myself. And right. Lime Ninja is on iTunes. Stitcher. And SoundCloud. And last, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know that ninjas can unscramble eggs? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.